Sports and Alpha by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. Good afternoon, Tysay. It is a Saturday, and we are recording on a Saturday instead of a Sunday. Our routine is getting totally destroyed. Yeah, we can't do our uh, weekly Saturday night recap anymore. Uh, no, it's just uh, a special Saturday edition of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. And there's only been two Montreal Canadiens games since last week instead of the three that we were expecting. And they lost both of them, and they lost both of them to bad teams. So I am not in as good of a mood as I was last week. No, me neither. Uh, watching those games uh, was uh, was very frustrating because, honestly, I think I could say that the Habs uh, probably were the better team both of those games, not going to lie. Uh, it's just like it felt like it was just one of those, two of those games where you know the bounce didn't go their way. And uh, they just happened to lose two games that they definitely should have won. Uh, I, I wouldn't say they were the better team against the Blue Jackets. Definitely not in the third period, at least. When they gave up. It was tied, it was, I believe it was tied going into the third period and they gave up three goals. And they haven't won in three games now, actually, dating back to, to last Saturday. So the mood can, yeah. can swing pretty fast. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a mini, uh, turn into a mini dip uh, real fast there, a uh, little losing streak. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like uh, during the Sens game, obviously, they played one of their best periods of the season to start uh, in the first period. And then they came out of that with no goals. Uh, it was 0-0 after the first, and that was a bit sad. Uh, and against the Blue Jackets, you know, you mentioned, yeah, the third period wasn't great, but I thought they were the better team, uh, especially in the first. I think they came out uh, looking good. And then uh, it just—it just seemed like the puck wouldn't go in over the last few games. I'm not normally the kind of person to get that concerned about a, a three-game losing streak, especially when two of the games were in overtime. But the more concerning part for it for me is that they lost to New Jersey, Columbus, and Ottawa, who are not good. Yeah, no, for sure, but. Uh... Me personally, I'm looking at even even with the quality of these teams, I just I'm not too concerned because it's not like the Habs have been looking terrible. I I, know, I realize that these are three pretty bad teams among the worst in the league, but it it looked like you know the Habs came out punching. They didn't look flat like they did in a couple of the other games where they lost to bad teams. So uh, you know it's it's not so bad, but I still uh, you know it'd still be nice to definitely win those games because uh, you should be winning those games. Uh, but I'm not too, like, angry at the team. I'm just more, like, you know, frustrated at the circumstances surrounding the game. You know, the puck just didn't go our way, I found. Uh, I don't think it was, uh, too much the quality of the play. I just felt like, uh, it was just two of those, those kind of games, you know? You just, you feel like you should win them, but then you just come out of the game and you lost. Well, tonight they're playing the Rangers, who are sitting at exactly Batman 500 right now. They're 9-9-2, nine, nine, and, mm. and they absolutely have to snap out of this, this short little... It'll funk before before it gets out of hand because Toronto might be breathing down their neck soon, Buffalo, Tampa Bay. Even Ottawa's kind of picked up a little bit of steam. And I really want to, you know, increase that cushion before it's 2016 yeah. all over again. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, they've got a they've got a solid three points over the Leafs and uh, two games in hand. But uh, for sure, you don't want to sit too much on your laurels. I think if you lose against the Rangers, then that's four straight bad teams. Then I start to get actually concerned. I mean, even no matter how good they play, they have to. They really, they really kind of, they really kind of need to come out swinging here because, uh, I mean, yeah, three games in a row. You said it's, uh, yeah, you need to start winning uh, pretty soon. One thing I actually. <laughs> I wanted to mention immediately, but kind of forgot about the two games they play this week against Columbus and Ottawa were on back-to-back nights. Mm-hmm. And last on last week's episode, I I yelled a little bit about how Keith and Cage should always be playing on one of the nights of the back-to-back, and they didn't even play him on either of the nights. So Carey Price, I guess ideally for them, they're playing Carey Price. Uh, on some other back-to-backs, I don't know. And they're, if they're not going to play Keith and Kate on one of these two nights, then they're probably not going to play him when it's not a back-to-back situation. So Price might end up playing like something in the upper 60s of games, which is really a, a big red flag for me. It's a big concern. Yeah, I mean, uh, we mentioned it last week. We said he wanted to play less games. And then uh, they come out and they play him two games in a row. I just uh, And against bad teams, too. I mean, it's not like... Uh, Keith Kincaid couldn't handle himself against the, against the, the Senators. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what's happening here. I mean, does the coaching staff not have confidence in Keith Kincaid? Uh, yeah, at this pace, you mentioned, it's just like the, the high 60 range for a goalie. Uh, even if it's someone like Price, who you were paying $10 million, it's just not acceptable in today's too league. Much. So, yeah, it's just too much. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of befuddled. I mean, I, I really... Yeah, they need to start playing Kincaid more often because it's not great. The, the pace Price is playing at right now, he's played the most in the league, and you're playing him on both backpacks. It's just, it's not great. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, I think uh, it's been since last episode that it was announced Jonathan Drouin's going to be out for about eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And Paul Byron, I think, was four to six weeks. So those are two important forwards, one more important than the other, but... Still two important players for the Canadians that are that are out long term. And they haven't won yet with uh, with both of them out of the lineup. So I really hope those two those two injuries aren't more important than they need to be. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, uh initially when I saw those timetables and I saw those two guys, I was like, okay, they should be fine. I mean, the thing is this team doesn't really center around any of the players like some of them do. Like we don't have uh, really a core of any superstars, right? This team just kind of works where it's all its four lines kind of produced. They chip in, the defense chips in with some points, and uh, it's worked well. So originally, I was like, you know, I mean, this definitely sucks. I mean, it would great to ha- it would be great to have them, but I think the Habs would be able to tread water uh, without these. But, uh, you know, a little three-game losing streak uh, without these boys. And, uh, yeah, I, I just maybe a tad bit of worry. But right now, I still think, that even without these two, uh, these two, they're pretty important players. Uh, I'm just, I'm, uh, I think they can still uh, tread water and keep this division spot going, even for the next, next, uh, next bunch of weeks. I mean, eight weeks is quite a bit. But uh, yeah. I, I would emphasize to the, you know, to the coaching staff, don't rush these guys back because I mean they'll be back in, like with plenty of time for the playoffs. You don't want to re-injure them, and if you're making the playoffs, you don't want to go into that uh, without either of these guys. Yeah, and this is also a big opportunity for Charles Houdon, 
who's been tearing it up with the Rocket this year, who I, I uh, was very optimistic about a couple years back when he made the, the Canadians out of camp for the first time. And he never really, it seemed like, I think with uh, Michelle Therrien, never really liked him that much. And Claude Julien hasn't really given him much of an extended chance. But I think I think if he were playing with good players, I think now he might be playing on a line with Kotkaniemi. I think he uh, has a chance to, to score more at, at the NHL level. I have, I still have high hopes for him. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, I, I I like the way the offense is structured where it's like, it's not the, like, you know what I mean? Like you can slot in a guy like you don't and uh, like it has a realistic chance of working pretty well. Uh, so yeah, I wish him all the best. How old is this guy? Like 25? Uh, uh, he was drafted 2012. So yeah, about 24, 25 years old. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I feel like he—it feels. I feel like uh, this guy's been on the team forever. Um, he's definitely—he's on so, the clock. Yeah. So yeah, just I—I I wish him all the best over this little stint. He's got—he's got a real chance to prove himself. I mean, uh, he's yeah. I mean, uh, he, these two guys are injured for a long while, so he's gonna have a good stretch of games, and uh, hopefully it works out. And uh, if it does, that's great. I mean, then our depth is even crazier, right? Uh, I, I would argue we have one of the like, top five depths, top even three maybe, because uh, honestly, it's, uh, it's really remarkable the way, you know, you can just, you can, these guys are so versatile, you know, you can move around the lineup and, uh, you know, nobody really seems out of place. Mm-hmm. I, was, I remember the thing with, with Hudon at the Vegas expansion draft, they exposed him and we were all freaking out. Oh, no. Oh no, they're gonna lose Charles Udall. And then when Vegas <laughs> took Alexi Emelin instead, we were, I can't believe it! I can't believe it! Fun time, yeah. Fun time. That was real fun time. That I mean, I'm still questioning that that Yamelin uh, pick from a couple years back. I mean, what were they thinking? I mean, he's out of the well, league they, now, right? Yeah. Well, they ended up flipping him to Nashville like a week later for a third round pick. I don't, I don't yeah. know how that third round pick turned out, but but whatever. Oh well. So I mean, I'm happy to have to... him on the team. We can move on to the big news of the week. Our, All right, let's do neighbor, it. Our neighbors to the West finally fired their head coach, Mike Babcock. I thought they were mm-hmm. going to do it after after the Game 7 from this past April when Austin Matthews played about 17 minutes total. But they, yeah. they ended up giving him a try into this year, and it was it was pretty ugly, especially at the, the very end. Uh-huh. It was, it was, it was there. They just, it just wasn't working anymore. Uh, so they fired the guy and they replaced him with longtime Marley's coach and uh, Kyle Dubis minion, I guess, uh, Sheldon <laughs> Keefe. So, uh, yeah, he's behind the bench now. Uh, he's played, he's coached one game and they beat Arizona three to one. Uh, so good start for him. Uh, I hate to see it, but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think that the Leafs are... I think that at the time Babcock was fired, they had, I think, the seventh lowest points points percentage in the NHL and about a 25% shot at the playoffs. So I think they waited too long to make this move. I really do. I mean, obviously better late than never, but I think they should have done it earlier because Mike Babcock, the way he... His ideology for how to run a team doesn't line up with Kyle Dubas's at all and it doesn't line up with how Kyle Dubas organized the roster. So if Mike Babcock were were uh coaching under a GM that thought something like him and had a roster that that uh you know complemented Mike Babcock's style of coaching, I think he still could be somewhat successful. But the fact that Kyle Dubas gave Babcock 
a great offensive defenseman like Tyson Berry, and they didn't have a mindset similar enough for Babcock to put Tyson Berry in a position of strength, put him on the top power play, let him pinch in offensively and, you know, play at the top of the faceoff circle in the offensive zone and instead tried to force him into a defensive role. It's things, That's kind of a, a microcosm of why this didn't work out any longer. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, with the, over the years, more and more, I think Babcock's fit with the team and also with his GM uh, kind of worth in. I mean, you look back at when he was hired, it wasn't Dubas that hired him, it was Lou, right? And uh, I think Lou's management style fit much better uh, with Mike Babcock. Actually, wasn't, Lou, Lou wasn't even there yet. Oh, really? Bab- okay. Babcock, but, uh, Babcock was, was hired like, it was Shanahan. Babcock was hired uh, two months before Lou was hired. Okay. But Month those two, so. they worked really well together, right? I yeah, mean, exactly. uh, yeah, yeah. like, your point stands. Yeah, Babcock had his guys, you know, like uh, Ron Hainsey or like uh, Leo Komarov. Uh, he was there for a while. I mean, he, like, Lou and Mike, they really clicked. And I think uh, their, their style of playing, uh, it worked well. And, so yeah, and Babcock's style fit the team in that at that point in time. But as Lou left and uh, the Leafs got younger and faster, you saw Babcock. He just didn't evolve with the team, right? He was still stuck in the you know the team that he had three four years ago. Uh, so you you just mentioned a bunch of you know like the Tyson Berry trying to get him to the defensive zone. It just it just didn't work with the team, and it didn't work with Kyle Dubas's philosophy. So I think that Babcock at the time when he was hired, I think it was a great hire. Uh, I think it's exactly what they needed. I mean, you look at the culture change uh, mm-hmm. that's happened with the Leafs. I mean, right away, basically, right? Uh, from, I think it was Peter Horacek, or was it Randy Carlisle? Uh, was whoever it was. It was Horacek, whatever. okay. It doesn't matter. The point is, it was an instant turnaround, right? You could you could feel in the Leafs. And uh, honestly, he's brought them to where they are. But uh, I think he's hit his limit. I don't think that he can... He couldn't have brought them to the next level. Uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, you're, you're right in saying that they should have fired him uh, in the offseason, especially after that disaster of a Game 7, where he got, you know, that's like two years in a row where Bruce Cassidy has had this guy's number. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. So 25% of the season, and you're already a quarter of the way into the season, and uh, and now you make a coaching change when you're you you're like you're well out of a division spot right now at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to question the, man, the, the management there, uh, but mm-hmm. they finally made the right move. And, uh, yeah... It'll be interesting to see what Mike got, Mike Babcock uh, goes from here. Yeah, I wonder about that because, there, well, obviously there aren't any coaching vacancies at the moment. And you can start looking around at uh, who might be fired soon. We'll get to Bill Peters in a, in a minute. But are, is there any possible teams you see? Maybe someone said the Devils if, if John Hines can't get the team going or anything else? Uh, uh, I, I'm not off the top of my head, but... Uh... Well, we'll get into the, the maybe the Sabres in a bit, but I think uh, maybe the Sabres there. If Rolf Kruger, I know he was just hired, but uh, if he really can't flip the switch after this uh, this little skid, I mean that that team needs a culture change. Uh, I think a team. I think we're looking at a team that you know that needs a guy who did what Babcock did when he came to Toronto, right? Uh, mm-hmm. A team with an absolute cancerous locker room right now. They need a guy to, like Mike Babcock and and get him straight. Because uh, like that's what Babcock's good at, honestly, and then uh, and uh, so yeah, not not the kind of new age you know speed team we see that you know Mike has had some trouble with that, but uh, yeah, a team like that, a team go really on the the down low right now, you know maybe like uh, you know a team on the tank, uh, maybe maybe Detroit, you know maybe back to Detroit. Oh, Do you think yeah. you think that's possible? You know back to Detroit for Mike. 
who knows? Buffalo was actually really close to hiring Babcock when he when he ended up signing with the Leafs in 2015. Buffalo was the was the runner up, and they were a lot of people thought they were the favorite at one point to land him. It was right oh, at yeah? the time they were okay. getting Eichel. Yeah. So All before right, so we move on from bit. before we move on from Mike Babcock, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, one of his former players who was not at all fond of him, Mike Commodore. And it's kind of, mm-hmm. he, yeah, so Commodore played for the Red Wings when Babcock was coaching, and I think the the early 2010s, around there. And Mike Babcock scratched him a lot, and obviously Mike Commodore wasn't very happy with that. And recently on Twitter, on Mike Commodore's account, he's been really going off about how happy he is, how glad he is that Mike Babcock is out of work. And... He said said things like uh, like immediately when it happened something in the vein of like oh it's the best day ever best day of my life I c- I can try to pull up some more specific ones but the big one was I think last night uh, when he had a picture most people he didn't take the picture but there was some other Leafs fan who saw Mike Babcock I think packing some of his stuff away into his truck to go wherever wherever he was going and he said. Something like, wait, uh, I'm, I'm going to pull it up now so I can hear. He says, good afternoon, folks. Okay. Mike Babcock has hashtag packed his shit. And there's the picture of Mike Babcock packing his shit. And he says stuff like, like two days ago, he said, folks, I will be honest. I had a nice, quiet evening planned tonight, but circumstances have changed. Tonight is a night for celebration, celebrating the demise of Mike Babcock. I'm going to get hashtag in one. And uh, so people thought this was kind of funny at first, but with the photo from yesterday, and they think he's kind of kind of crossing the line. Do you have anything to say about it before? Uh... Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, this guy, Mike Commodore, never heard of him before. I took a look mm-hmm. at his stats. Uh, he's never passed 30 points in the NHL in his career. Uh, I don't know what this guy's all about, but uh, it looks to me as if he's a total scrub. Uh, and I don't know what his whole vendetta is. If I was Mike Babcock and I see a guy like this, I would have benched him and scratched him as well. Uh, <laughs> so I think uh, Mike Commodore, uh, I think he needs to get his head straight a bit. Uh, maybe he's got a, a too big of an image of himself because, uh, honestly, looking at his stats, uh, maybe he wasn't the greatest player and maybe Babcock could reason that maybe Mike Commodore is picking a fight with the wrong guy. And uh, to celebrate at his firing, like, uh, how, when was this guy? Uh, yeah, he was, he's been out of the league for five years. What are you doing celebrating your ex-coach's firing five years down the line? I mean, it makes no sense. Uh, I don't know what this guy's thinking. Uh, tweeting a picture of him packing his bags. Uh, yeah, it's out of line. Uh, it's totally random. I don't know what's, what's wrong with this guy. Uh, so, yeah, I just uh, I don't really care about Mike Commodore. Never heard of him before in my life. Then he shows up on my Twitter feed with, these pic- with this picture. Uh, no, thank you, Mike uh, Commodore. Uh, yeah, I don't give a crap. I can, I can understand him, you know, not liking his his former coach or whatever, and maybe him saying something about that. But I feel like with all the attention it got, he kind of he tried. Ooh, I ooh, I'm getting popular. Mm, I like the spotlight, and maybe so that's one of the reasons why he kept trying to push it forward. You know, and he goes, hmm, how far can I take this? How far is, will it still be funny? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely feel that too. You know, a bit of an attention grabber. I mean, as I mentioned, this guy was a scrub. He's never seen the spotlight in his life, probably. I mean, uh, so, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, just uh, I think it got out of hand a bit for uh, for Commodore there. Yeah, so most people agreed that with that picture, it kind of crossed the line. So I wanted to bring up a thread uh, 
by another former NHLer, Mark Frazier. He played for the mm-hmm. Leafs. He played for the Oilers, a couple other teams. I don't think he ever played for Babcock. Uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. And this was just a couple hours ago. He tweeted something kind of in defense of Mike Commodore, uh, a bit of a thread that I'm going to uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read it, and then we can discuss it. So he starts. Okay. Anyone anyone who thinks Mike Commodore needs to lay off Babs just doesn't understand how much hate players have for him. It's beyond him scratching Commodore or saying he was out of shape. NHL players are a very, very small population of athletes and people. And he says, We share stories throughout the years with each other, and for those outside the locker rooms, you will never truly understand some of the terrible, undeserving things Babs has done to some of his players. You don't have to like all your coaches, but he is one who 95% of his players can't say a good thing about. With the ability to end players' careers, he's chosen to do so to long-serving vets that have resulted in all his players turning against him. He's used his power to turn teammates against each other and choose to continuously lie to his players. Commodore may have strong public opinions of Babs, but in our fraternity of NHL and former NHL players, he's speaking for the masses. He's speaking for countless players who have personally told me their terrible stories of Babs just being a bad guy. He's speaking for all the Maple Leafs who wouldn't dare speak the truth right now, but damn sure want to. Commodore has so many players' respect, if only the outsiders in the hockey world knew the truth. And that's the end of the thread. So I think that's the first time you've heard that, was just now from me. Yep. Initial mm-hmm. thoughts, initial reaction? Uh, initial reaction? Honestly, uh, yeah. I just, uh, no, I still, I this doesn't pull me to closer to Commodore's side at all, personally. I mean, okay. People don't like him, but uh, A, he's had a pretty good track record of success, uh, whether it be like reliant on his players or not. The fact is, this guy's won a cup, this guy's won a gold medal. Uh, he produces results, he turned the Leafs around. So I wouldn't say he's an objectively bad coach. And uh, look, it's not the coach's job to be the, the player's best pal. It's to get results. And Mike Babcock, over the course of his career, say for the last couple of years with the Leafs, he has produced results. So... I don't know why these guys, uh, you know, why this guy, Frazier or Commodore, you know, you don't have to air your dirty laundry like this, okay? Keep it to yourself. And honestly, if you, to an outsider look like me, it looks like both of these guys are just, you know, whiny babies, you know, wah, wah, I don't like my coach. Get over it, you know? And first of all, it seems like, you know, Frazier has never been coached by this guy. Okay, great. Why are you even talking at this point? And Commodore, he's been out of the league for five years, okay? Like, come on, get over it. Uh... It's just, uh, yeah, my initial reaction, I just, uh, yeah, no, it doesn't move the needle at all for me. It just, they, they just seem like they're whining a bit too much for me. You? Well, you say, you say Mike Babcock, you can't, like, you say it's not the coach's job to be the player's best, best friend or whatever. And I agree with you on that. But I feel like Mike Babcock is, from at least what Mark Fraser and some of these players are, I've said, and from what I can, from what the little I can tell, is he's taking it too far the other way. And he's, his methods of being like a drill sergeant or trying to trying to, you know be kind of arrogant a little bit and have, take total control and not let his players have any sort of free reign it's pretty outdated he his last cup was was 11 years ago his only stanley cup was 11 years ago which is was like a totally different world in terms of hockey he won two gold medals with team canada but i think pretty much anyone could have managed to win a gold medal with team canada and he hasn't won a playoff round since 2013 with the red wings so I think it's fair to say that Mike Babcock maybe doesn't really even belong behind an NHL bench anymore. And I think his track record is something 
you kind of you you have to stop pointing to after a while. I don't know, but like you had, like I point to his recent track record. You know with the Leafs. I don't. I like. I mean the style. His recent talks, track yeah, record yeah, with yeah, the Leafs. He doesn't yeah, doesn't exactly. have a track record. What? What? Well, I was saying. Well, you no, said you're pointing to his track record with the Leafs. I was saying he doesn't have yeah. one. He's had tons of talent on a team that he's just lost in the first round three times in a row. That's not a track record. But the, but the, he didn't have that great of a team against the Capitals. He still managed to even just like you know give them a run six games. Uh, that team shouldn't have made the playoffs in the first place. Why not? They were they were fine. They just they weren't expected to because the rookies overachieved. Is, is that because of Babcock that that Matthews and Marner and Nylander were better out of the gate than they were expected to be? Zach Hyman, oh, Connor I Brown, think, whoever I think else. You gotta give- I think you got to give some credit to Babcock. I mean, pushing them to that level. Uh, I mean, if the, the, the coach doesn't motivate them, uh, maybe they don't have such a great season. You know what I mean? Uh, and plus, I just, I just don't think it's, it's Frazier's place or Commodore's place to uh, be criticizing this guy. Because uh, you mentioned, uh, okay, uh, Babcock's track record at the Stanley Cup was a long time ago. Well, Commodore's career was a long time ago. Why doesn't he get over it? You know what I mean? Uh, same with Frazier. You know, just like... Uh, yeah, just uh, you know, stay out of it. Well, one reason maybe they're not getting over it is like Mark Fraser kind of just didn't say, "Oh, he's an annoying coach or he's a pain in the butt," but he says he's actually like he could be a bad person to to his team to to his players and have, be like be divisive in the locker room, things like that. You know, one thing that comes to mind is Mike when uh, he was coaching the Red Wings and Mike Medano. Uh, you probably know this story. He, he was sitting on 1,499 career games. And in the, the last game of the season, Mike Babcock scratched him. And then Madonna retired sitting on 1,499. The Red Wings, I don't I think they had already clinched a playoff spot that year, probably. Yeah, because of course they did because it was in the middle of that long streak. So it just feels like petty stuff. Babcock does to just seize control and say, I'm still in charge here, you know? Yeah. I, I get I get where he's coming from, I guess kinda of like I I get the petty stuff can wear on a guy, but I mean to this level, really, where you're like, you know, you're on Twitter just like, you know, just roasting this guy after he just got fired. I don't know. I just don't agree with that. All right. Well it seems seems like we agree on, on most things concerning concerning the Babcock situation, but maybe on how much uh we're willing to to see things from Mike Commodore's point of view were differing a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, we could kind of stay on Mike Babcock a little bit because I had mentioned that there's been a lot of talk amid the Flames' uh, losing streak, their slump, that Bill Peters might be on the hot seat and Mike Babcock might be a, a possible replacement for him. We could talk about the, the, the Flames a little bit and how poorly they've been doing as of late. Yeah, sure. So uh, I think they've lost six in a row. So uh, they're kind of like the Leafs of uh, the Leafs of the West Canada, you know. Uh, so yeah, they just they're a very talented team uh, with a couple of questionable trades in the past year. But uh, you know, they're 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 just uh, they can't put it together. It just seems like uh, just kind of like the Leafs, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're they're talking about firing Bill Peters. And uh, so yeah, it just it just seems like uh, the locker room there is kind of suffering there as well uh because uh they just they should be winning but they're not uh so uh what, what what's your prediction on uh, what's going to be happening uh with that team uh i think bill peter's going to stick around for now they've lost they lost five in a row 
They lost, I think, like 5 nothing to the Blues in their last game. Because last year, when the Flames were the top team in the Western Conference, nobody had them being the top team in the Western Conference going into the year. And from most people's point of view, they overachieved quite a bit last year. Mark Giordano won the Norris Trophy. Johnny Gaudreau, I think, like got to 100 points or almost 100 points. And this year, uh, all of them are kind of just performing below par. And it's not like there's one player who you can point to that's doing that much worse than everyone else. You know, I think Goudreau and Monaghan are both on play, pace for like uh, a fair bit below their, their normal normal production rates. Matthew Kachuk hasn't been having his best year. Obviously, there was a, a scary incident with TJ Brody at practice about a week ago, so mm-hmm. I don't know how long he's going to be out for. So I think they're going to wait it out with Bill Peters a little bit more. Because they they only did bring him in a year and a half ago, and he got great results out of them immediately. So, so I think he's earned a bit of the benefit of the doubt here. I don't know. I mean, you saw they, they, the the Flames held the players only meeting after they lost to the Islanders. I think it was a day ago, and mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, as I said, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, you, that it, it kind of worries me. I think, I think yeah, you're right with Bill Peters. He's got. Uh, more of a leash than Babcock, given the results that he got last year. But uh, I think it's shortened a considerable bit. I think. Uh, uh, let me think. I think you could you could see you could realistically see Bill Peters getting fired within the next two weeks if they really you know they can't get it going at all. I think. Look, this this management too. It's just it's not been great over the last year in terms of management moves. You look at. You know, James Neal, what didn't pan out at all. And then they traded him for Milan Lucic. Yeah, so, that's a different story. Yeah, it's just, story. it just seems like, yeah, but it just seems like this organization, it just feels like it's it's uh, it's under a bit, of, uh, a bit of chaos, a bit of turmoil. Because, yeah, they finished first in the West, but then they got absolutely beat by the Avalanche uh, in the first mm-hmm. round. So, you know, I just, it's like, it's, it's kind of like t- how Tampa's suffering mentally, you know? Uh, but not quite as much because Tampa was just an incredible favorite. They got swept. But Calgary still lost, what was it, five games? Yeah, five games. So, you know, they got really beat hard by an Avalanche team that was the second wild card. So, yeah, I just think this, uh, I think I think you're seeing a bit of the Tampa syndrome here as well. Maybe not as severe, but still, they're not in the playoff spot right now. They're not playing good at all. And uh, I think I think it's time for a good look at the coach. And I think even, you know, Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, Brad Treliving, uh, his seat gets a, a, just a touch warmer with how bad that Lucic trade has turned out. Oh, yeah. You mentioned the players-only meeting, and I feel like you you might be making a bit of a big deal about that. Those kinds of things, they happen a lot of, all the time, basically, when, when teams go through a little bit of a slump. And it's not necessarily like, like you picture them sitting in there going, oh, oh, man, we, got, we hate the coach or whatever they're talking about. But, but maybe they're just, you know... It's probably run by the captains. Jordano's the captain. Assistants, I don't know. I think Monahan and and I, I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't really not really the point. Is that they'll try to get get their own teammates going and try to hold each other accountable. And maybe it's you know hearing different voices instead of just hearing the coach all the time and try to try to win and play better for each other. You know, it's yeah, not sure. necessarily a sign. Mm-hmm. But. It's not often that you see these come out in the media. You know what I mean? That's that's my thing, right? Like, sure, they they might happen often, but you know, I get the headline: players only meeting. Uh, that that that's what concerns me a bit because if it's leaking to the media, I think it's pretty significant. 
Yeah, that's that's fair enough. So if the Flames do end up firing Bill Peters, personally, I think Mike Babcock is not the person I would want to hire, even though that's de- that would definitely be the favorite. I don't have any specific names in mind, but I would tr- I don't know who the coach of their AHL team is, how well the AHL team does, but a, lo- a lot of times that works out pretty well if you bu- if you have trust in your AHL coach. We saw it with uh, with the Penguins when they hired Mike Sullivan midway through the year and won the Stanley Cup. We've seen it before where a coach who's within the organization and has found success in the AHL gets called up for uh, for lack of a better term and coaches players that they've already coached in the AHL. And the ones they haven't coached in the AHL are, are oftentimes the leaders on the team and best players that, you know, you've acquired by trade or free agency or whatever. So so that honestly that's the route I would I would like to see the Flames take if they fired Peters. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, I don't think Babcock is the right fit for this team at all, uh, no matter what the media says. And uh, yeah, honestly, I think uh, I think we've seen recently success with, as you've mentioned, you know, looking inside, looking internally. And uh, I think that'd be the route to go. I mean, a lot of a lot has been said about, uh, you know, Peter's track record. Why was he hired so quickly? Uh, when he got out of Carolina, you know, why did it, it seem like the Flames had his name already written in stone for the coaching spot? Uh, so you know, uh, a bit of uncertainty there in Calgary. Uh, I, I honestly don't really have a clue what's going to happen there because uh, you know, I guess we'll just have to see how the Flames do in the next uh, couple weeks, uh, next month, because I think that'll determine both the direction of the Peters, but also this team, because uh, you know, this team is fit to win right now. Uh, and it's a playoff team for sure. They just got to put it together. If I had to make a prediction, I said Bill Peters is sticking around for the whole year because because of how eager the Flames and Brad Living were to hire him. He was like the only name on their list. So after just like a little bit over a year, I think they're going to continue to have faith in him. That's just that's how I see it playing out. Yeah. Uh, well, look. Yeah, you're right. I think I think he'll stick around for the rest of the year, given the management. But personally, if I was Calgary management, uh, a I wouldn't have uh, I would have taken a better look of uh, uh, for some other candidates in the first place. But uh, I think Bill Peters' seat would be hotter if I was the general manager of Flames right now. And uh, if they really can't put it together by uh, say February trade deadline, kind of, uh, yeah, I think I think he's gone if uh, if I'm the general manager. But I think he stuck around because of this management team. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, the, the the Flames management just seemed to really like him. So, yeah, I think I think he stuck around for the for this year at least. All right, we okay. shall see. We can uh, switch gears a little bit now into sure. actually a former Calgary Flame who's recently signed with the Washington Capitals and uh, then spat on Eric Goodbranson and got suspended for three games. So, everyone had something to say about this. So basically. Eric Goodbranson kind of like sucker punched Garnet Hathaway, which is something you should not do. And then Garnet Hathaway, instead of doing what you'd expect him to do in a hockey situation and punch back, he spat on him and got suspended for three games. And there are there are a lot of different ways to look at this. Uh, do you want to share share your opinion first? Sure. Well, uh, okay. I am absolutely torn on this issue. I have no idea. If the suspension is too long, if there should be a suspension at all, uh, is this suspension too short because it's an absolute scumbag move? Uh, so honestly, I look at the suspension three games and I just have a giant question mark over my head. I can't seem to formulate an opinion in the least for some reason. Uh, honestly, this might be the first time it's happened where I look at the suspension and I'm like, 
yeah, I have no idea what my opinion is on this. But I was uh, just going to say. Yeah? I, I said I was, I was just going to say, I don't think you've ever had no opinion on anything. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, so it's just questionable. Obviously, uh, Hathaway, what an absolutely terrible move. I mean, I don't even know what this guy's thinking, just like spitting a loogie at that freaking uh, good Branson like that. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely scumbag move. But three games? No idea. I just, I have no idea what to say about it. I mean, yeah, he got sucker punched, so maybe good Branson should have gotten a look. I know he didn't. But uh, yeah, what what are your thoughts? I mean, I've, you got to compensate for my absolute lack of an opinion. All right, good because I've got a, I've got a lot of things to say because I've kind of been on a I, I'm kind of torn too. I've been kind of on a roller coaster the past couple of days thinking about it. So my first instinct was that three games is is too many because because well you know people are getting hit in mm-hmm. the head all the time with shoulders and that's obviously way more dangerous than you know spitting on somebody it's just you just get a tissue and wipe it off and it's gone as long as <laughs> as long as garden hathaway doesn't have any diseases that can spread by saliva eric goodbranson should be okay yeah. but then but then and also uh when the nhl came out with a statement that he'd been suspended it said for intent to injure which i thought was hilarious and didn't really, <laughs> really help their cause yeah no but then <laughs> but then when you when you think about it Punching and stuff is kind of what you come to expect and kind of what a lot of these players' initial reaction probably would have been. For Hathaway to think, hmm, I'm I'm not very fond of Eric Goodbranson. Let me let me gather some saliva in the front of my mouth and, and spit it in his direction. For you to do that, because spitting isn't just isn't just like it isn't just saliva, you know? There's a, there's a cultural significance to it. I don't know about all around the world, but definitely in North America, if you if you spit on someone, that's a big deal. That's a massive sign of disrespect that isn't even it's not even, you know, replicated by punching someone in the face, you know? A lot of people would say a lot of people would say in a fight they'd rather someone punch them in the face rather than spit on them just because of the, the disrespect that comes from it. Personally, I'll take the saliva, but but that's just me. And in terms of the, <laughs> in terms of the three game suspension, you can't it's hard to compare suspensions to to other suspensions in general because if you're comparing this to oh how an elbow to the head got two games and spitting got three games, that doesn't make any sense. Well of course that doesn't make any sense. But if you I think the spitting suspension probably should have been longer than three games. I don't know exactly how many, but longer than three. But I also think that dangerous suspensions like hits to the head and whatnot should get more than spitting. So most of the times when I see a suspension, I say, oh, I would have done longer. I wish it were longer. I wish the punishment were more harsh for causing potential, uh, you know, lifelong brain damage. So, so yeah, that's kind of, that kind of ties all my thoughts together on, on the whole Garnet Hathaway situation. I don't know if I've yeah, inspired I mean, you to uh, come up with something else. It's, I, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still absolutely stumped because uh, I, I look, mm. I, you look at like, uh, for example, Brad Marchand and his yes, repeated uh, 
pensions, uh, uh, licking offenses, and he's got an absolute total of zero games. And uh, meanwhile, Garner Hathaway on his first spinning offense, which is arguably worse. But then again, you know, licking, spitting, it's both saliva involved, licking, you got a tongue in there. I mean, I just, I have no idea. Like, so should Garner Hathaway have been suspended at all? But then again, that is really a vile move to have that happen. Uh, to have that happen, you know, like just the, the spit on a guy, as you mentioned, you know, it's just, it's, it's one of the cheapest moves that you can make in a fight. Uh, but then again, you know, hits to the head, elbows to the head, you know, they're not suspended much at all either. You know, if they are, it's one or two games. And then you look at the effects of like CTE and spinning is not going to cause CTE, uh, but stuff to the head will. So should that be suspended more? Uh, I, I just, okay. Given what I just said, maybe I think Hathaway should have been suspended one or two games. Uh, but I, I guess that's where I'm going at right now. But, uh. Overall, I'm not I'm not too certain uh, uh, what my verdict is for uh, dear Garnet Hathaway. So I wanted to mention what you said about Brad Marchand too, because a lot of people were trying to compare those two situations with Hathaway and with Marchand. But there are a couple of reasons I think that doesn't really work. And I've, first of all, Brad Marchand's licking stuff was in the playoffs, and I know some of us don't like that that makes a difference, but of course that makes a difference. The fact that it's in the playoffs. And you're gonna really suspend one of the the best wingers in the world for for licking someone in the in the playoffs. Okay, good good yeah. luck with that. You know, absolutely, absolutely, I'd suspend him. I mean, oh, okay, I would. Yeah, of course. I think he should have been totally suspended. I mean, look at this guy, uh, best winger. I don't care. Follow the rules. Don't lick people. Uh, it, it, being the best player in the world does not give you a free pass to go around and spreading your tongue on other people's faces, okay? And uh, yeah, that's just my thought on the, the Marshan situation, which also further complicates my uh, verdict on the Hathaway situation. Anyways, keep yeah. going. I think even even just in a vacuum, licking is not as bad as spitting because it's not just about the fact that saliva is now on your face, you know? As I mentioned, there's a whole cultural significance to what one like licking is like. Oh, my my dog licks me when I when I get home at the end of the day. You know, my dog doesn't spit on me. But people I hate would spit on me. People who show disrespect. You know, it's a really really different thing. Brad Marsh. I, I think I think there's an argument to be made that licking might be even worse, and that it just doesn't have that cultural significance because it's so bad that it never happens. Because when in the fight. Have you ever seen, okay, two guys going at each other and then somebody comes at you and with their tongue out and just licks you in the face? I mean, you'd be like, what the heck is happening? You know what I mean? So uh, I think there's an argument because there's a tongue involved. That's even weirder. You know, I make the argument that licking is even worse because, okay, there's more cultural significance to spitting. But maybe that's because it actually happens compared to licking. When does licking ever happen, you know, in, in a context of adversity? I feel like if you picture somebody licking somebody else, it's probably in a situation of of love and affection rather than spitting. So you know, it's very. Cool. We should probably call this episode "Licking versus Spitting," the, ult- <laughs> sure. the ultimate showdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, want to move on from that, or do you have anything else to say about about saliva uh, in the hockey no, world? I, I think I think we can move on. I think I said my piece about not having an opinion. Uh, so <laughs> we'll move on to uh, a bunch of teams that have been on a bit of a boom recently. Uh, so we can start with the Senators. Uh, so they've the been on uh, they, they did. 
and they've been on a bit of a heater. I mean, uh, we thought going into the season that this team would be absolutely tanking. Uh, it's just this team is, it looked like it was just a bunch of scrubs. But uh, they're sitting at uh, Batman 500 right now at 11, 11, and 1. Uh, they're creeping up on the Maple Leafs, the Sabres, uh, challenging for that uh, fourth spot in the Atlantic. Um, so what are your thoughts on this well, uh, this team? Are they for real? Can they keep it up? They absolutely cannot keep it up. They aren't very good. John, <laughs> to, to put it uh, bluntly, Jean-Gabriel Pajot is playing out of his mind right now. And that's the, the main reason why they've been they're on a three-game winning streak now. They've won seven of their last ten. And Pajot is on pace for, what, like 40 goals now? I don't know what his career mm-hmm. high is, but it's definitely not that. And Logan Brown is, is uh, was called up, and he's playing great. I think he's uh, producing on the power play. He's playing with Brady Kachuk and Anthony Duclair. Uh, Pajot actually is in a, a contract year now. So I'm very curious to see what his next deal is going to look like and if it's even going to come with the Senators or if maybe they're going to try and get a a sweet return on him before the trade deadline. Uh, Yeah, I think, I mean, he's he's picked a hell of a season uh, to absolutely explode. Uh, But, uh, you know, how old is this guy? 26? Uh, He's 27. Because... 27, okay. So I think uh, there's a decent chance that the Senators trade him at the trade deadline. Uh, uh, you mentioned trading at the trade deadline. They've got a whole hand handful of, uh, of players. So they're set to absolutely sell off, uh, an absolute fire sell. And they're all raising their value right now, all the better for the Sens. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, a guy that's 27, it doesn't really fit their uh, you know, their mold coming into the future. They want to build uh, really young. You look at uh, their, their core right now with Shabbat and Kachuk and others. Uh, so yeah, I mean, personally, I think they can keep up this middling pace for the next little while, uh, until the trade deadline when they absolutely, it's an absolute fire sale liquidation. Everything is half off, uh, or, you know, but, uh, just, I think they're playing solid hockey. Uh, DJ Smith seems to have coached them pretty well. Uh, they Mm -hmm. seem to be fans of DJ Smith. So you know, you say they can't absolutely, they absolutely can't pick, keep keep this up. I think, I think they got a solid chance at. You know, they're not definitely not going to make a push for the playoff spot by any means whatsoever. Yeah, that's but, what uh, I was saying. Yeah, but but I think they've got a solid chance at like you know, uh, middle of the pack, maybe like eleventh in the conference. You know, something like that. Uh, I think well, they can great, stay what out. What a great of- success story! What a great success! Eleventh yeah. in the yeah, conference. Exactly. You know, now now you get the eighth hmm. overall pick instead of the third. So. Uh, but, oh no! <laughs> yeah, no, you ruined the tank. Uh, but you know, the, this team, you know, they they've they've suffered their fair share, and uh, you know, it, this this gets the fans in the building now that they, you know this nice little run. And uh, yeah, you, you hate to see Eugene Melnick bringing the money, but uh, mm. you kind of feel good for that fan base, you know? Yeah, I well, as a Canadians fan, I I love it when the Sens are good. I think I mentioned before how much I enjoyed those uh, those two recent playoff series between Montreal and Ottawa. Because that rivalry mm-hmm. at one point was maybe the hottest one for the Canadians, or the most intense one at some point in the middle of this most recent decade. And that was a ton of fun. Uh, I wanted yeah. to also go over the uh, the UFAs that Ottawa has that they might consider selling off. So besides Pajot, sure. besides Pajot of Vladislav Nemesnikov, who's injured now as a pending UFA, Tyler Ennis, who they just signed, Ron Hainsey, 
Mark Borowicki, Dylan DeMello, and uh, Mikel Bodker, but I don't think they're going to be able to turn much value on him. And uh, Cody Golubev and uh, Craig Anderson is in the last year of his contract at 38 years old. So, and Scott Sabrin too, who's on the IR. So that's a lot of options for for the deadline of who they might want to consider selling off or holding on to. I don't know if there's a a team who might want to take a run at Craig Anderson for maybe some some backup goaltending, uh, expensive backup goaltending. You know, what's the word I'm looking for? Insulation. Any thoughts? Uh, insurance, I guess. Uh, insurance. But, uh, there it is. Yeah. Um, look, I think. Yeah, they've done a good job of building value for the trade deadline. Uh, Tyler Ennis seems to have been a smart signing because he's really built on his value. He's had a solid season so far. Uh, So I think this little run, uh, I think it really, really helps them. Uh, These players are playing well, and that makes them more attractive for prospective teams. Uh, And uh, if I'm the Senators, uh, I'm selling absolutely everything. Everything I can. Uh, there's, There's no point hanging on to any of these guys uh, they're all like, you know, 27, you know, they're getting up there in age and you don't want that on your team because you saw that basically there's, they just picked a handful of AHLers this season and uh, they've turned them into NHLers because, uh, you know, they're, they'll, they'll be able to flip them for a solid haul, I think, uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, nothing spectacular, but, you know, a decent haul, especially for the caliber of players. Uh, and, and going into the season, we thought this team might be uh, one of the worst ever because it was absolutely just, just went dumpster diving. Uh, but they just turned out good. So, you know, uh, yeah, I think they're, 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 they're setting up for a solid trade deadline, uh, where they absolutely sell everything off. I don't think they can sell everything. You need somebody to play for you, you know, like someone like Mark Borowicki, who they love. I wouldn't be surprised. Hey, Mark, just sign this two year deal, uh, one and a half million bucks per year. Stick around, you know? Stuff like mm-hmm. that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Mark Borowicki or, or Tyler Ennis, whatever these depth players sticking around, just because Ottawa decided, whatever, we'll we'll hold on to them. You know. Yeah, I guess. But personally, if I'm the the GM of the Ottawa Senators, I mean, all these guys that you mentioned, uh, I can replace them with AHLers because at the beginning of the season they were basically all AHL caliber players. So. I say, you know, okay, you want to pick a guy, you want to pick a, a locker room leader like Mark Borowiecki. Personally, I wouldn't do such a thing. But if they really want to, I guess. I mean, you're not going to get much value out of him anyways. Uh, sure, be my guest. But a player like Tyler Ennis that you just mentioned, I mean, why do you want this guy? This guy, his value is probably as high as it's going to be uh, for the foreseeable future right now with the way he's been playing. I mean, he's been playing pretty well. So, uh, yeah, I say uh, everyone who's playing remotely well, who's been, uh, who has remotely any value whatsoever, sell them off because that's the only way they're going to help with the new age senators who are, who will be, who will be, uh, you know, who will peak and start to start to peak and hit their window in the next uh, three, four years. All right. Well, uh, we also want to talk about a couple other teams that are doing pretty well as of late. Uh, the San Jose Sharks, we were, we were going to mention last week, but ended up not mentioning at that point, they were on a six game winning streak after they had a, their disastrous start to the year. And now what they've won seven of their last eight, so that uh, is exactly. a pretty pretty nice turnaround for them. They are knocking on the door of a playoff spot. It it looks like. So what are your thoughts? You think this is sustainable? You think this is the turnaround that they were looking for at the beginning of the season? Uh, yes, I I definitely buy into this because the Sharks have been good for what fifteen years, 
So uh-huh. when they were when they were bad, even though I know you know Martin Jones and Aaron Dell were you know terrible and still probably aren't that great. I I don't know what their numbers are like during this hot streak, but I believe it when the Sharks are good because they've been good okay. for so long. You. All right. Well, uh, I, on the other hand, uh, absolutely disagree with that. I don't buy this at all. I mean, uh, this win streak. You, you know why? Because I look at the quality of the opponents that they beat. Okay, you look at who they beat, and then instantly you're like, okay, this isn't real at all. I mean, it's great that they're banking points, but to say this is their turnaround that they've been waiting off for all year, uh, I don't think so. Uh, so I'll list them off. They beat Chicago 4-2. Chicago's a terrible team. Then, next. Minnesota, and even the worst team. They beat them 6-5. to five. Uh, Nashville, a struggling team uh, who's not even in a playoff spot right now, I don't think. 2-1 to one shootout win. Next, Edmonton, 6-3. Okay, that's a pretty decent win. But other than that, next, Anaheim, 5-3. to three. Not a good team. They barely beat Detroit, 4-3 to three in a shootout. And then they lose 5-2 to two to Edmonton when they play them next. And then they played a Vegas team, uh, what was it, uh, on Thursday, that 2-1 uh, to one in overtime and Vegas is struggling. So uh, I will not buy into this. Uh, I'm going to wait until they beat a real team, uh, if you ask me, because right now it's easy picking. It's, obviously, it's encouraging that they're winning, but to say they've turned their season around, I think it's, uh, it's, it's way too early for that. Uh, because Just because of the base, just based and only based on the quality of their opponents. Yeah, so I understand that's my thought. I understand where you're coming from, but personally, I have a pretty hard time faulting the Sharks for beating bad teams because I, I I didn't watch the games. I don't know about how they dominated whatever possession or anything like that. But what are they supposed to do? They they won, and you can pick up momentum by by beating six six uh six bad teams in a row. And they weren't even six bad teams in a row. Nashville's good. Edmonton's been good. So you pick up momentum that way. That's how you start to to turn it around by, you know, banking points against teams that you should be banking points against. I wish Montreal could could have beat these last three bad teams that they played against, but they didn't. And the Sharks did. Yeah, I you you're I but I, I mentioned that. I said it's good to bank those points and you can't blame them for winning, but you can blame them for playing absolutely awful uh the games beforehand uh so that's what i'm basing my verdict on just the fact that they looked absolutely terrible the goaltending was garbage uh before this little winning streak that they've had and uh yeah they've banked these points congratulations good for you you beat you beat uh, a handful of terrible teams and teams that are ice cold uh i mean look you say the predators are a good team guess what they're third last in the conference right now so i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't pump their tires too much right now uh so yeah the sharks not buying it right now uh, moving on a bit to the next team that we're, uh, we've got, uh, we've got the stars. Uh, so the stars were absolutely awful to begin the year, but, uh, but since they've turned around 180 degrees, uh, and now they're sitting in a division spot and, uh, yeah, they're just absolutely flaming hot. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this team? If my memory serves correctly, I think the first 10 games of the year, they went two, seven and one. Which would mean that now in their past thirteen games they are eleven one and one. Just to some uh, some quick math, looking at their thirteen eight and two record, they're third in the division, uh, twenty eight points in the last twenty three games, and uh, I think they've been do- doing a lot of this without John Klingberg. I think he's been on the IR for for at least maybe a week or two. So good for Dallas. I always believed in you. I always believed in any team that has Alex Radulov. My uh, one of my favorite Montreal Canadiens of all time, though it was short-lived. 
Do you have anything uh, anything specific? Yeah, uh, to this? So Klingberg, you're right. They've, he's uh, he's been out this whole time. He's coming back actually tonight against the Blackhawks. Oh. Uh, so as well as uh, Rupe Hints, Rupe Hints is back. Uh, he of incredible goal scoring uh, at the beginning of the score at the beginning of the year. Uh, so yeah, uh, this has been an incredible turnaround. Good for them. Uh, it's absolutely legitimate because what you mentioned, they were two starting do seven and one to start the year. They were actually one seven and one. So it's even uh-huh. worse uh, to start the year. So they've really turned it around. And, uh, and it's no s- small sample size whatsoever. They've rattled off like, what, 16 or 17 or something like that. It's absolutely preposterous. Uh, wow. So, yeah, congratulations to the Stars. Uh, you see if they've really turned it around. Uh, I don't know what else to say because, uh, yeah, it's just a really good team right now. I feel like Dallas is, they're due for a deep playoff run. You know, they made the they made the second round last year against the, the Blues. And I think they made it to, to overtime in Game 7. I feel like now is the mm-hmm. time for them to to break through because I feel like they've they've been on the cusp for a while ever since they they acquired Tyler Sagan they've kind of been been pushing kind of been on the upswing you know I feel like now after adding Pavelski Miro Haskinen's sophomore season Ben Bishop is awesome and Rupe Hints is breaking out I think things are coming together for the Stars that's yeah. how I feel. Uh- yeah, it's it's uh you definitely uh you feel good for them because uh yeah for sure last few years they've been a good team they just haven't been able to you know to push it in the playoffs and uh yeah I think uh we can we can look at them in the playoffs uh, when uh, playoff time uh and uh they'll they'll be a they'll be a solid pick and uh, maybe I'll be cheering for them in the West we'll see mm-hmm. uh so on the other hand moving on uh so a team that has been uh, we've mentioned it before. They've been doing absolutely terribly. Uh, so it is the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, so we saw an, a very interesting uh, quote recently from a former player. Now, uh, give me a minute while I try to pull this up. But it was... But he's, still a, he's still a player. He's still a player. Yeah, but uh, he used to, now yeah. he's on the Jets. <laughs> uh, former yeah. Montreal Canadian, Nathan Bollier. Uh, so uh-huh. he recently, a, couple, a few days ago this week, uh, he commented on his time... Uh, with the Sabres, and he called it mentally degrading. Uh, so it just stacks it up on this absolutely tire fire of an organization. This is not the first time that we've seen a notable player uh, say such a thing. We saw it with Ryan O'Reilly, who said he lost his love for hockey uh, well, before he, he got traded. Buffalo. Yeah, while he was said, and then he got traded and won a cup. Good for him. But uh, so yeah, this this just it's just you know look this team. Eh, an absolute track record of being terrible. And uh, this just supports that They need a shake-up over there. Uh, you know, look, this guy said it was mentally degrading. How much worse can it get? Uh, uh-huh. So it sucks the life out of players. It's like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. This, te- this, this organization, it's garbage. Your thoughts? I think, though, I think, though, we can see after all the times they've tried it, changing the coach wouldn't do anything at this point. You know, Ralph Kruger, Kruger just showed up. They've had, like, Jack Eichel's already had, like, three or four coaches in his career already. So I don't know if it's a problem with the, the GM or even with ownership. I have no idea. But there's something something rotten about about the way this team is. Just their whole their whole attitude. It's like, oh, we, we went on a winning streak, but they're just, like, waiting for the shoe to drop because they have no faith in the fact that, that they'll uh, that they'll be able to to stay competitive to make the playoffs. It's just, you know, it's must be so disappointing to be a Sabres fan. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, this this is just it's diseased. I mean, you mentioned the win streak. It happened this year. It happened last year as well. Uh, so it's just yeah, you're absolutely right. There, nobody has faith in that organization anymore. Us, we don't have any. Uh, we didn't buy it when they were on a winning streak. The you fans, did. I bet they're better you, by now. You said this year when Buffalo, we were talking about whether we buy Buffalo or Edmonton more, and it seems like you were on the uh, the wrong side of that token. Um, yeah, but that, that was because I didn't buy Edmonton more than I believed in Buffalo. You know, uh, I don't know how you can totally buy anything in, from Buffalo, uh, and clearly management. Uh, I don't know what's happening there anymore. It's just something's you you yeah something's wrong with that organization. Something's rotten, and uh, yeah, I think we've ragged on them enough. But uh, honestly, I don't think you can because they're just so cancerous. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, we're almost at an hour now. But before we end, I wanted to mention uh, one of my new favorite players in the entire National Hockey League, former gold medalist for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Former fourth overall pick of the 2017 draft, Kale McCarr. He oh. is on. He is on my uh, my Yahoo fantasy team, and I don't know if you know this, but Kale McCarr is currently on pace to break the record for points by a rookie defenseman by 17 points. He is on pace okay. for not. He's on pace for 93 points as a rookie defenseman. What? I'd say. 25 points in 22 games. Uh, the record right now is uh, Larry Murphy, who had 76 points in his rookie year. And I can't remember the last time any defenseman even got more than 90 points. Burns and Carlson have each gotten 80 a few times in recent memory. I don't know when when the last time was it happened. And my favorite thing, there was a quote. Some uh, a Colorado journalist asked him, asked him about uh, all the success he's been having, and he basically said. Oh, uh, it's all due to my my great teammates. None of it is me, and obviously that's a you know a generic answer to say. But they end. It's also a fallacy. But the, but the broadcaster said none of it is you, and you just said nope, not yet. That's which is like it's like it's almost as if he actually actually believes it. The fact that he said not yet, it's crazy uh-huh. how these how these players are wired. You know, I love yeah, Gilmore. For sure. I love. Uh, yeah, I think uh, at this point in the year. Uh, if unless he gets injured, I think we can already like uh like carve his name into the Calder Trophy for this year. Oh yeah, uh, second second year in a row. It's, uh, it's second year in a row. It's uh, it's all tied up in a knot by the end of November. Last year, Pedersen and uh, now Kilmacar. It's over. It's over. Sorry, Nick Suzuki, but your Calder run is over. Uh, yeah, maybe this you guy, can still be a finalist. Yeah, sure. I mean, that'd be exciting as heck. Uh, yeah, that'd you want like Nick. Nick Suzuki, he's been absolutely fantastic. We scored another one. Uh, so, you know, why not? Give him a little uh, a little bump. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Kale McCarr, uh, crazy defenseman. Uh, they said that he you know tons of potential coming into the year, but I don't think anybody predicted to this level uh, because he's just on fire. And to say that he is – for him to self, for himself to say that he is none of it, absolutely preposterous. That is <laughs> hockey culture at its greatest, uh, at, <laughs> its, at its peak. Because, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just, I just I don't even know how it's possible to, to be at this pace and to possibly think, oh, I am responsible for none of this. That's <laughs> absurd. But, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. Good for him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we can already – we might as well just give him the Calder Trophy to the, tonight and uh, just call it a year. I know you might not believe me, but at the 2017 draft, 
That was a Nico Hischer, Nolan Patrick year. I kind of had an inkling that uh, Kel McCarr was going to be the best player to come out of that draft, personally. And there were actually uh, there were a lot of rumblings that a lot of teams had Kel McCarr number one on their lists. I think Vancouver was one of them who had the fifth pick. They they'd said that uh, if they had the top pick, they wouldn't have taken Hischer or Patrick. And you can kind of like uh, you know make inferences based on that. McCarr ended up going fourth overall after uh, Hischer, Patrick, and uh, Miro Haskinen. And Haskinen's been great. Uh, Nolan Patrick's been, uh, he's on LTIR now. He's got, I think, migraine, a migraine condition. So I don't really have the details on that. But you look at the Flyers, Kale McCarr would be such a good fit on that team where their best right defenseman is Matt Niskanen. So they're probably, they might be yeah. feeling the regret from that pick already. Okay. Well, if that's the truth, uh, you absolutely nailed it on the head there because, uh, yeah, this guy, just a rookie, but. He just looks incredible. Uh, so I think uh, that wraps it up for us today. Yep. So we'll be back, uh, not tomorrow, but the Sunday after that, or December 1st. December 1st yep. will be our uh, our uh, our 10th episode, actually. Oh, wait. wait. Will we be able to do December 1st? We have a uh, we have a, a concert for the Quebec, Quebec Youth Wind Ensemble. I'm not sure what time that is. Do you know? Uh, I think uh, it's. Uh, we'll have to be there for about 12 o'clock. Uh, so what might be we might do it on th- uh, Saturday. We'll see uh, what, what, what how yeah. that pans out. Uh, we'll we'll be back next weekend and uh, with a minimum of three games because uh, the Habs play four uh, from here until Sunday and they play on to the Saturday night. So we'll we'll have a three game recap. We'll be back to the three games next week and uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I think that, that that's about it for us. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Subscribe on Google Play. Subscribe on iTunes.